That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin with teammate Aliyah Kamalova. Welcome to The Females, a podcast from Career Contessa that delivers helpful, actionable career tips and advice for women so you can be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. On today's episode, we're discussing the frozen middle, a phrase used to describe middle management and the managers at that stage because they often impede change. However, our guest expert, Amna Al-Tai, a career and business coach, will explain why the frozen middle is an under-resourced and overlooked segment that, if supported correctly, could turn businesses around. That's why on today's episode, we're discussing, one, what exactly is the frozen middle and how do you know if you fall into it? And two, Amina's five tips for unfreezing the frozen middle. Plus, stick around for Dear Career Contessa, our listener advice segment where we answer your career questions. And today is unique because we have Hulu recruiter Alex Bader here to answer your questions. And now this is The Females. Hi, Amina. Welcome to The Females. Hi, Lauren. I'm so happy to be here with you. Hi, Aaliyah. So let's start by having you introduce yourself and and what you do and why you are such an in-demand career and business coach. I love that. Thank you. Um, So I'm Amina Altai. I call myself a holistic leadership and mindset coach. And I say holistic because, you know, we're we're absolutely focusing on your business and your career, but we really are looking at it holistically. So I take what I call a mind, body and business approach. So looking at what's happening in the mindset and if there's any blocks there, the strategies and tactics we actually use in our careers. And then if our bodies are sending us any signals about how we're showing up in the world and if we need to address that too. How did you break into this? I mean, I feel like people don't usually just become holistic career and business coaches. (laughs) It was quite a circuitous route. I started my career in marketing and I worked within an organization and then eventually went on to start my own marketing agency, which I co-founded with a friend. And it was amazing. But after seven years, I burned out and I developed two autoimmune diseases. And part of the journey for me was going back to school to learn how to take care of myself. So I went back to school to study nutrition, movement, meditation, coaching. And the idea initially was to just support myself in my own life, but I became so lit up by what was available to me. I felt like I needed to sort of pass this onward or share this and mitigate the learning curve for others. So it's like my fourth career at this point. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's incredible. I've, I've never heard of it described like that, but it is really also quite the combination of all your skills and interests into a career. 
And also like, I'm also someone that has autoimmune problems and Lauren knows about this because we've, it's like, so it's really important to have that in mind when you're, you know, thinking about your career. And I think a lot of people don't realize it until they're afflicted with something that's chronic themselves. And then it's like, oh, this really does feed into the type of jobs you have, you know, whatever it is. I know like I've constantly, whenever I was going to a bunch of doctor's appointments and whatever, it was like a mystery trying to figure out what this autoimmune things as they often are. And I feel like I always had, fortunately I was with Career Contessa and so we're like super tight team. So they always had my updates of like, okay, I think it's this thing. I don't know. <laughs> so that's we're not doctors, really but we're pretty no, close to it. No, <laughs> definitely none of us doctors, all of us giving medical advice. <laughs> exactly. I love what you're saying. It is so important to have a supportive community in that too. And also to design the work around how we show up in the world, right? Because part of how we're navigating life is with chronic illness. And that might mean things for our energy or when our brains work best. And so designing your work to match that is so important. And having that supportive community is, is everything. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So let's get down to the meat of the episode. What exactly is the frozen middle? Yeah. So the frozen middle refers to the middle of an organization that people dub as resistant to change. And I don't believe that. I I think it's an incredible section of the organization that's just been really overlooked in terms of resources and potential. I think that not enough is invested in that section. And so they become quote unquote frozen and there's a lack of upward mobility. But I think there really is an opportunity to cultivate that group and have it impact the organization positively. How does someone know if they fall into the middle at work? Because some organizations, I think, are really clearly laid out. And it's like your title is literally middle management of yada, yada, right? But some people don't have that. How do you know if you fall into the middle or not? Such a great question. And a lot of it is title, right? So noticing where you fall in the organization, but then also a big piece of it is feeling. Do you feel stuck? Do you feel there's a lack of upward mobility? Do you feel a lack of resources? Do you feel like you're not really reaching your potential in the organization? A lot of it is feeling. It's not necessarily about like age because there's probably people listening to this who are like, I just got out of school or like I'm 10 years into my career or I've, I'm going back into the workplace after taking a break. It has nothing to do with that. It has a lot more to do with like feeling and job title. I think so, because people might be re-entering the workforce or just starting their job, and we come in at different ranges and titles and levels, and so we might find ourselves in different places, but yes, is it connected to that title? Do you feel that you're not maximizing your potential, that you're not being invested in, that there isn't ability for you to really move upward and be your best self at work? Do you think that with the frozen middle, these are predominantly external factors that are causing this freeze in the middle? Like, is it something that you can change in like as an employee or like a contributor? Or is it like it's just more of a systemic thing that needs to change within your company? That's such a beautiful question. I think <laughs> oh, thank you. I think it's both. I, I always invite people to look at, for us to look at ourselves, to look inward of how am I showing up in the workplace? How is my mindset contributing to a successful outcome or a not so successful outcome? So I think it's really important that we do the work and we look at ourselves too. But a lot of it is structure. A lot of it is systemic. A lot of the workplace hasn't been structured for everybody. And that does keep some people really stuck. Mm-hmm. And is any of the middle freeze right now impacted because of COVID um, and the fact that so many people are now working remotely and, you know, they didn't necessarily predict that they would be remote. 
Yeah, I definitely see that having an impact. So a lot of the people that I coach, there's conversations happening around, well, what does this mean for networking? What does this mean for advancing our careers and talking about our trajectories? Because for a lot of the people that I'm coaching, those conversations happen in between meetings. They're in the kitchen at work, they're at the networking event, or they're at the outing where there's an opportunity to be exposed to senior leaders or whatever it is. And they don't have those same opportunities right now. And yes, of course, we can put time on people's calendar calendars, but there's definitely a bit more friction in this moment. And then also we're in a moment that's really asking us to be in the here and now, like we've all lost concept of time and we've all, you know, we're like, what month are we in? How many days have we been at home? And And so that's really impacting us too, because we're so focused on the here and now, which we need to be, that having conversations about the future of our careers and our organizations is definitely more challenging. So up next, you're going to share with us five tips for unfreezing the frozen middle. I love this phrase, the frozen middle, just because I feel like kind of gives a name to a feeling that a lot of people have had. And I just want to maybe add this disclaimer with these tips that almost all the advice that we give out in Career Contessa, it can be tailored and personalized always to people's you know specific scenarios. And to Aaliyah's point, yes, there is systemic issues that can keep people frozen in the middle and discrimination. And so I just kind of want to put this disclaimer out there that we're not saying that if you follow these rules, this is how it will be for everybody, right? This is here is some advice and some ideas of places to start knowing that every workplace and in, in person is unique and and That's, I think, also the challenging part of all the work that we all do is that we are working with people. All right, Amina, tip number one is to invest in coaching. What does this look like and how does it help? I think coaching is so important. And of course, I say that as a coach, but a lot of managers are thrust into these managerial positions and they haven't had any sort of formal training. And oftentimes they haven't even had managers that role model amazing behaviors that they can step into. And when we think about what makes strong managers, we think about things like really incredible leadership, empathy, effective communication, and those things aren't always taught in school or in organizations. And so we really do need to invest in that. A lot of times these organizations will invest in coaching, but it's really at the top. So we see C-suite getting coaching, we see executives getting coaching, and that's really amazing and important. But studies suggest that basically those leaders can spend less than 10% of their time coaching onwards. So we see this body of work getting stuck at the top. There's no trickle-down effect. So this middle isn't getting access to that amazing information. And if we really want them to grow and to impact the organization, we need to invest in them. I mean, we obviously have a career coaching platform on Career Contessa too. So we're big believers in coaching, but it's for a similar reason where it felt like coaching was something that only happened at the top levels. But you're like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. It would be so much better to start earlier on in your career with coaching. And I hope that this becomes a trend that organizations also pick up is offering coaching to employees earlier on in their careers as well. So that's that's I agree that investing in coaching, I think, can be extremely beneficial. Yeah, I see it happening in more progressive organizations and it's giving me hope. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. So tip number two is about three of our favorite skills, empathy, self-awareness, and vulnerability. So let's talk about those because they're awesome skills, but like really hard also and take a lot of consistent practice. So let's talk about those. Yeah. Oh, I love those three too. It's interesting because those three are so important, but they're often not valued in organizations. Oftentimes they're looked at as soft skills and 
places and people don't spend time to really invest in them, but they're so important if we want to be strong leaders and effective communicators. One of the things that I see in my practice by far and away is yes, people want to focus on upward mobility and what their career progression looks like, but we spend so much of our time really rumbling with what's happening interpersonally because people don't necessarily feel like they can be vulnerable at work or feel like they can you know, step into their full self-awareness or have the tools to do that. But I think that if we really invested in teaching those skills and really allowing people to be more vulnerable, to do more self-reflection, we would be way stronger leaders, way more effective communicators, and it would increase productivity and just general morale for sure. I love that. And Mm -hmm. we also like, we have an interpersonal skills course on Career Contessa. Like we're a hundred percent on the same bandwagon that you're on that you can learn and, and be taught these skills. I want to take a quick break to tell you about Issue. We all have content we want to share, whether it's through social channels, video platforms, or I don't know, maybe a podcast. When you create something you're super proud of, it can seem like that's only half the work. Now you have to go spend the hours it takes to format and reformat the post for every single individual platform. It's a drag. We get it. But that's where Issue comes in to help in a major way. Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital publications seamlessly, from brochures to magazines to sales collateral and much more. Using Issue, you can create content once and distribute it everywhere. Simply upload your files and Issue will transform them using your vision and customizable templates. Best of all, it's free to get started with Issue. Go to issue.info slash females to sign up for your free account. Okay, so these both have funky spellings. So hear me out. It's issue, I-S-S-U-U dot info, so not dot com dot info slash females, F-E-M-A-I-L-S to sign up and let them know that you heard about it from our show. So remember, that's dot info, not dot com. And then you go to issue dot info slash females to set up your free account today. All right, now let's get back to the show. Someone who might be listening to this who maybe doesn't believe that, like, do you have an example of a client or maybe um, someone you've worked with where how have they been able to increase these skills? So self-awareness, I think, is one of the first pieces of really looking at where are our blind spots in the organization. So this is an exercise that I love to do with clients of, okay, let's look at your the highs and lows of the last year. And then let's sort of connect the dots and create some themes. And in those themes, what are we starting to see? And then can we see some of your blind spots? So maybe you find yourself always in a particular type of conflict or always or lacking the ability to advocate for yourself. We start to see these themes and we start to see these blind spots. And that's one of the best places to begin. And from there, understanding, well, what are the conditions that I need to create to feel like I can advocate for myself or to feel like I can navigate this conflict with ease? And then one right action at a time, really building those skills. It's not that overnight we need to become Brene Browns, each of us individually, that one right action at a time. And starting with the self-awareness, I think is the most powerful piece. And do you think that like self-awareness exercise can feed into vulnerability? Because I feel like that one's also like a tough thing to learn to do. Is it more of like a muscle kind of, of just like practicing being more open or more confident with how you're truly feeling? Or is there like, you know, how do you like actually measure growing that? 
Yeah, I think practice is so important. But in the context of work, I think spaces that cultivate psychological safety is so important for feeling like we can be vulnerable. If we're not an organization that makes us feel psychologically safe, then we're not going to feel like we can open up and really have authentic conversations. And so I think that's a really big piece. Yes, we can do our work, but then also it's on the organization to do their work too. That's great. Okay, so your third tip is to cultivate a growth mindset. How do people do this? Yeah. Are you familiar with Carol Dweck's work? I'm not. So she's amazing. She is a Stanford University researcher, one of the foremost researchers on the topic of growth versus fixed mindset. And she wrote this incredible book. It's called Mindset, the New Psychology of Success. And she basically talks about how we cultivate a growth mindset. So in the growth mindset, we believe that we have the ability to grow and learn. In the fixed mindset, we believe that our abilities are fixed. So an example might be, in school, if you failed a math test, you, your assumption, if you're in the fixed mindset would be, well, I'm bad at math, right? But if we're in the growth mindset, we're in discovery and we're asking ourselves questions around, okay, why did I not pass that test? Did I not allow enough time to study? Did I study uh, particular information, but not the entirety of the body of work that I needed to? Did I not have enough time? We're basically in discovery around the conditions that allowed us to thrive or not so much so the next time that we can strengthen that muscle. And so it's really important that organizations cultivate these growth mindset cultures because it allows people to really take risks. And we've seen this with Microsoft, which is one of the biggest growth mindset organizations. And they talk about how cultivating growth mindset really allowed them to grow their business. And it's because it it makes managers, it makes individual contributors feel like, okay, I can actually take a risk. I can innovate. And in that, it's safe for me to miss the mark because I'm growing and I'm learning and the organization will grow and learn too. And it doesn't mean anything about me. Yeah, I think it encourages people to take ownership over what they're doing too versus like waiting for someone to give them instructions. What if somebody's listening to this and they they recognize that they're in the middle, they're a middle manager, they feel really stuck in their career and they feel like, hey, I keep trying to grow, I keep trying to take risks or I keep trying to do these things and I'm just constantly met with a no, not now, it's not for you. You know, they just keep coming up against these barriers because their leadership won't allow them to have the outcomes of the growth mindset. Yeah, that's such a powerful question and so real for so many people. And I've experienced that too. I think one of the most important pieces is to be in alignment with our managers of where we want to really lean into or live into the growth mindset and like what a plan for that could look like. So before we invest all of that time and effort and energy, we're actually co-creating together. So they feel like they have a hand in this and you feel like your efforts won't be futile. I think that's so important until we gain trust and then they feel like, okay, now you can go and do that thing by yourself and you're going to be met with yeses. And I think that uh, co-creation and that alignment with leadership and management is so important. Yeah. I also think that it helps at least kind of defend against the whole, I'm working really hard and nobody's noticing how hard I'm working because Mm -hmm. I feel like if you talk about it ahead of time, like, Hey, I want to set up this, you know, game plan with you with this growth mindset. I also feel like you're like tipping them off to recognize like, Hey, I'm going to do this work. And then we're going to check in along the way. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. I feel like a while back we had that template from Career Contessa where it was like you check in with your boss on Monday about like, hey, here is all the things that I plan to do this week. And Friday kind of is that like, here are the results of everything I said on Monday, which I think is particularly great during like remote work because you feel sometimes disconnected potentially from management. But that's a great like 
a literal paper trail of like, look at all the stuff I've, you know, that I'm doing to grow and also to keep your boss or manager, whoever in the loop of making sure that you have that space to like reap the benefits Mm -hmm. of that growth. I know too. And Amina, I'm curious of your thoughts on this. Like I've also heard from leaders or managers before where they also like maybe the person wants to advance just faster than they can keep up with it or like then it works for their organization. Have you come across clients again in the middle who are like, I don't want to say like their impatience, but like there's a piece of this that maybe they don't always have full insight into like the other side of it, like the leader side of it. Yeah, absolutely. And we bump up against that a lot in coaching too. And so I'm so heavy on the mindset piece of, I always invite people to ask themselves, well, what are we in such a rush for? Right? Because we want to grow as leaders. We want to get to a certain place. We want to cultivate skills for sure. But why are we rushing? What's the rush about? And a lot of the times it goes back to limiting beliefs. It goes back to childhood wounds, right? There's something really big in there for us to look at. And it has nothing to do with the organization. So I always find that to be a really fascinating place to start. Yeah, that is really interesting. And also, I feel like with coronavirus, it's like even more of like, what are you rushing off to? You know, but... Right. <laughs> That's a very good Where point. Are we going? <laughs> exactly. So your fourth tip is to keep imposter syndrome in check, which probably leads to the mindset that you just talked about. So let's talk about that and how does this impact women differently than men and and does it impact women? I should even start with than men. Yeah, it's such a beautiful question. So I love imposter syndrome and I don't love the idea of it, but I love navigating it with my clients. So most of my practice is women and a lot of women of color. And when we look at imposter syndrome, it does disproportionately affect women and women of color. And the body of work was actually created by Dr. Valerie Young in the seventies. And she was looking at female PhD students. And at that time, there were very few female PhD students and a ton of male students. And so they didn't feel like they belonged in these programs because they didn't see themselves represented there. So it is the degree to which we feel like we belong in a place, right? And then these feelings of, well, we don't belong there. And what does this mean about us? And the same is true in in the context of work, right? If we don't see people that look like us in certain places, we start to think that we're not worthy of being there. And, you know, so much of it is mindfulness-based and in terms of rewiring our brains to believe, okay, we do belong here and we need diversity of thought and lived experience and we really need everybody at the table. But it's such a fascinating work to explore because it's really closely tied to perfectionism as well. Yeah. And you mentioned women of color experience this more. Is that also because there are literally less women of color, maybe in middle management and leadership? So like when you talk about seeing yourself, like it's not there, like they don't see themselves reflected. Right. Because our brains are belief engines. They basically aggregate data to prove out a hypothesis. And we're always looking for data and evidence to prove these said hypotheses. Right. So if, for example, I'm a black woman and I want to be the CEO of a Fortune 500, I look and there are no black women CEOs in Fortune 500s. So my brain might start to believe, okay, that's not possible for me. And so we really have to dig deep to start to rewire our brains to believe that there's a possibility, but then there's also that work that we need to do externally around these systems that are in structures that are in place that aren't supportive of female leaders of color and black leaders. Is there something that like an individual can do to actually like check their imposter syndrome in like, is there you know, a is there like a self-reflection exercise? I feel like you don't even realize it until like, like sometimes, you know, someone can just brush off like, oh, I'm not going to apply to that job or I'm not going to do this. Cause it's like, oh, that's just not even 
within the realms of what I can do. Is there like, I don't know, any exercise or anything that you advise people doing to sort of like get more uh, in control of that? So great. I love this question too. (laughs) So anytime I engage with anybody, the first body of work that we will do is looking at core beliefs. So examining people's beliefs about success, money, life, relationships, all the different areas of our lives and what we believe is possible for ourselves in those areas. And oftentimes we haven't actually sat down to ask ourselves what we really believe. And our beliefs are often adopted from family system, culture, subculture. We're not even conscious. Carl Jung, this was psychoanalyst, says until we make the unconscious just conscious, it directs our life and we call it fate. So basically we have these operating systems running in the background that are directing our lives and what we choose to do for a living, where we choose to live, who we choose to partner with, all directed by mechanisms that are in the subconscious. And so we need to sit down and ask ourselves, okay, what do I believe about these areas? Do I believe that that's universally true? Are there fears inside of that? Are there examples that I have that I can disprove this belief And how can I loosen this thought and, you know, basically change my beliefs and believe something more empowering? So I take people through a three-step process of, okay, what's the voice of fear saying? Is that universally true? How can I debunk this theory by citing examples to the contrary? And then it's basically training our brains through repetition and through mindfulness-based behaviors and practices that we can now believe this new belief is possible. Wow. Wow. That it. That's so good. I also like on a more, much more basic level than what you're talking about. I think this is why I like work journals so much because I do feel like going back to your self awareness and like recognizing your trends. Like I think if you can keep work journals not only to track the work that you're doing, but also the interpersonal challenges, the beliefs, maybe the fears you come up against, the moments of I'm not going to go for this thing, and why are you not going for that? Why are you not having that conversation? I feel like outside of working with you, I I find that that tool can be helpful for what you're describing too, which is recognizing and then creating new habits, right? Almost the most profound shifts happen in the awareness of noticing, okay, wow, I believed that thing. And then the new habits, that's where we go from 95 to 100. But the biggest shifts happen simply in the awareness. Yes. And just a subtle plug for Power Moves, everybody. We talk about career awareness in the book. So order one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Just a very subtle plug. (laughs) All right. So The last tip you have is about getting to know your genius. What does that mean? (laughs) Yeah. So I believe that we all have unique forms of genius and a lot of us tend to discount our genius. So we might grow up in family systems, cultures, or subcultures that value a very particular skill or trait, and it might be different to the ones that are innate to us. So we tend to work really hard to cultivate things outside of ourselves, and those are our zones of excellence. But I believe that when we stand in our genius versus our excellence, we use way less mind share, way less energy because those things are innate to us and our life flow is much easier, work flow is much easier. So it's really important that we get in touch with those forms of genius and we figure out how can I step into this in a bigger way in the workplace because there'll be a bigger impact for you, bigger impact for the organization. And then you're also giving everyone around you permission to own their unique forms of genius too. So if you're frozen in the middle, one of the things you could do is say excellence versus genius and try to go more toward the genius side with like the skills or decisions you make or maybe things you ask for, would, would that be something that you would identify? How would you identify that? I guess your, yeah. your what's your genius? 
So when I'm doing a genius exercise with someone, because most people have no idea where their genius lies. A lot of people don't even want to use that word because it feels triggering to them or braggadocious or there's a lack of humility. But the truth is, is we all have unique forms of genius. And the more we own them, the less competitive we feel because we're all so unique and have these unique contributions. So I always ask people, where are the spaces where the body of work or whatever you're producing just flows through you, where you can produce something that far outpaces your peers in terms of the quality and the speed in which you create it. Or also thinking about when you step into a room or a group of friends, what are the things that you are uniquely bringing or contributing that weren't there before that are really effortless for you? And they're distinct from excellence because excellence really is the space that we're practiced, polished, and very proficient where we spent a long time really cultivating skills. It's kind of like the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. It's like you're a pro there, but it's very distinct in that genius is it requires very little effort. We've just been taught to discount it. That's interesting. I think people always want to know, like, can I take a strengths finder test or, you know, a strengths test and it will figure this out? And it's like, well, you can, but it has to be mixed with a lot of self-awareness going back to your original point. Self-awareness is the theme of the day. (laughs) Yeah, it is. All comes down to that. Well, let's recap Amina's five tips for unfreezing the middle, which are number one, invest in coaching. And yes, you can work with Amina. Number two, teach empathy, self-awareness and vulnerability. Number three, cultivate a growth mindset. Number four, keep imposter syndrome in check. And number five, get to know your genius. Amina, thank you so much for sharing these tips. And also, I think just bringing awareness to the fact that there's this thing called the frozen middle. You know, people maybe have been Mm -hmm. feeling it and they don't know if it's just them and you've proven it's not just them. Thank you so much for having me. This has been amazing. A data strategist from Purchase New York is earning an $85,000 salary. A talent acquisition recruiter in San Diego is earning a $76,000 salary. A product designer in Ashburn, Virginia is earning a $120,000 salary. And a brand manager in Indianapolis, Indiana is earning a $98,000 salary. Why do I know all these salaries? I'll let you in on a little secret. It's called The Salary Project. The Salary Project is Career Contessa's own database of real anonymous salaries from over 50,000 people. We created The Salary Project to gain real transparency over real salaries. This way, the next time we're going for a new job, asking for a promotion, or finally requesting that salary increase, we're armed with the live data. In four easy steps, you can gain access to thousands of salaries. Here's how. Head over to careercontestant.com backslash the salary project. Or when you just go to our website, you'll see it on the top navigation bar, click on the salary project. Then all you have to do is anonymously submit your salary data to instantly see all the data we've collected so far. Plus, when you submit your salary, we'll also send you a personalized salary report. So it's like two for the price of one. So head over to careercontestant.com backslash the salary project. Or, you know, just use your favorite search engine like Google for the salary project. The next time you're negotiating your salary or looking up the salary to know where you fall in when it comes to that new job offer, you'll be totally ready because you'll be using the salary project. All right, now let's get back to the show. Welcome to Dear Career Contessa, the part of the show where we answer your questions. Remember, if you have a career question, you can submit it to us via DM on 
Instagram, which is just at Career Contessa. Email us info at careercontessa.com or leave us a voicemail at 844-FEMALES. All of that information is also included in the show notes. Today is a unique Dear Career Contessa because we are joined by Alex Bader, a recruiter at Hulu to help answer your questions. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the Females. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. Amazing. We're so happy to have you here. And before we get straight into the questions, I think it might be helpful for people to maybe have a little idea of who you are and what you do. I mean, you're a recruiter at Hulu. They know that. But maybe, you know, what kind of roles you recruit and why you're kind of a good person to be answering some of these questions here today. Absolutely. I started my journey at Hulu six years ago. I have primarily been working on recruiting for ad sales, ad operations, integrated marketing, and a little bit in between. So those are my main focus areas. I think, you know, I'm probably a good person to talk to because we have hundreds and hundreds of applications uh, that we're looking at day in and day out. And, you know, as the streaming wars continue to heat up, Hulu is obviously a big player there. Yeah, absolutely. And just as disclaimer, guys, Alex and I did not work together at Hulu, but (laughs) I think we must have just missed each other. But this is really exciting. All right, Alex. So our first listener question is, what is something that sends a resume straight to the trash right away? You know, you can tell if somebody put effort into putting together a resume, right? So if you see misspellings or an unnecessary amount of pages, maybe a really long paragraph section of the about me maybe the wrong cover letter. That's happened to me many times where someone will say, I'm so interested in this job at Netflix. And I'm like, well, (laughs) I'm not the one then. (laughs) So I would just say, you know, making sure you're making edits or you're having someone edit your resume, make sure those edits are taken off as well. I've definitely seen some resumes come through with editing. Um, I would just make sure it's, you know, looking clean as simple as possible. No spelling mistakes. I'm also a big stickler for the spelling mistakes. And actually, when I worked at Hulu, I like physically would put resumes into the trash because I was doing university recruiting. So we would get physical resumes and people are like, oh, you guys don't actually look at resumes. No, they really look at resumes. And sometimes they really do go into the trash because when you have hundreds, you have to narrow those down. And spelling mistakes is sort of an easy one, right? Well, and that's the thing too, is like the hidden secret for recruiting is that we spend like 30 seconds per resume. So you want to make sure it's right at the beginning. What are your thoughts on photos on resumes as like a side note? Because I feel like I've seen this trend of yes things. Um, no preference either way. I get mm. the intent, but I would say probably my preference is no photo. I can always go to LinkedIn and check out, you know, where <laughs> where you went to school, what your experience is. Pictures generally tend to be there. So I would say keep the resume to writing only. All right. Yeah. Our second question is, is it better to list every job you've had on your resume or keep it to one page? This one is a little personal preference to me. I think as long as, you know, you're hitting every relevant experience you've had in relation to the job description, my vote is to ideally try to keep it to one page. I would say though, you know, if you're further along in your career and it's really important for you to list every job you've had, then my suggestion would be to have the bullet points uh, for your most recent job, the most extended, and then maybe one to two bullet points for past jobs that aren't as relevant anymore. Yeah. I also love a one-page resume. And I think people don't always know, nor would you if you hadn't been a recruiter looking at hundreds of resumes, that when you're looking at resumes online, 
the one page is just so much easier to kind of like organize and understand. You're not going back and forth from page one to page three. And size seven font is not the answer to get you to the one page either. You know, I cannot agree more. (laughs) Yeah. Please don't try that hack. It's not, it's not nice. It hurts their (laughs) eyeballs. Um, Okay. So our third question is thoughts on cold messaging recruiters on LinkedIn, especially right now when I feel like so many people are home, they've been furloughed or laid off. And so they're spending more time on LinkedIn and they hear this advice a lot is network, network, network. Yeah. I certainly have seen a significant uptick in cold messaging right now in comparison to other times too. I'm totally fine with it. The one recommendation I have though, is to do your research beforehand. So For example, my LinkedIn specifically calls out what groups I recruit on. So if you're looking for a tech position, like I'm not your girl. So I would just hope that, you know, if you are intending to reach out to a recruiter, make sure there's a specific intention and actually try to call out why you're seeking that informational call or if there is a specific position you're interested in. What's a way that the email has been written or, you know, maybe you have like a summary of what someone has said that's caught your attention. You're like, okay, yes, I'll actually look at their resume. And do they attach their resume usually in that cold reach out? That's a great question. Most of the cold reach outs don't include the resume, at least on the LinkedIn side. If I'm getting a direct email, typically they'll, they'll add or attach the resume. But I would say some things that stand out. If you specifically call out something you enjoy about Hulu's ad offering or our products and services, obviously that means you did your research. If you're mentioning a specific role, even if we don't have that role open right now, I'm happy to keep your resume on file. So I think again, it's it's the reach outs that are approachable and warm, but also have a specific intention. Do yeah. you have like a worst reach out example? <laughs> that is a great question. Yes, I do. <laughs> Not only was I called Alexander, <laughs> it was for a different company for a role I've never heard of. And <laughs> they asked me to hop on a call on their schedule. So they gave me their availability and said, let me know which works for you. <laughs> Love that. That person is lost. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to need some additional coaching from Career Contessa. <laughs> Agreed. <Okay. laughs> All right. So lastly, our fourth listener submitted question is, I'm in a quarantine career rut. Do you have any actionable tips to stay motivated to get hired? Yeah, I think this is a really tough time. I feel like everyone's putting a lot of pressure on on themselves to stay engaged and motivated when it comes to prioritizing your career. What I found to be really beneficial is just try to carve out, you know, 20 to 30 minutes every day, every week to focus on one specific part of the process. So maybe one week you'll work on your resume. The next week, you'll put a number on the amount of LinkedIn messages you want to send listening to a podcast like this one. So I would just say like once you have obtainable goals, the process certainly won't feel as daunting. So if you know know that the end goal is to be at a job you love, at a company you admire with people you genuinely enjoy working with, I think the work you put in will just pay off tenfold. Yeah, we couldn't agree more. And I think to summarize some of your tips too, I think that people, especially, and I get it's scary. So people are probably applying to any jobs that are open and available right now, but it's really important that you tailor your resume and your application materials because you kind of get one shot at the person reading it and you don't want to 
say Netflix when you're actually applying to the job at Hulu or having like some of these are just really tiny errors. I'm curious too, this wasn't submitted, but I, I can tell that this is something that people are thinking about is companies that are on hiring freezes or on hold, but they're still posting jobs. Any insight into like why they, that might happen? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So Hulu, we are actively interviewing and recruiting at Hulu. But I can assume that if there are jobs posted during a freeze, I assume that those positions are going to be recruited on in the future. So those recruiters are wanting to build their pipelines, get those candidates ready so that as soon as they can open the job, they have candidates ready to go. So I would actually say you're absolutely right, Lauren, like be super intentional about what jobs you're recruiting on, because a lot of recruiters have a little bit more bandwidth now to be having, you know, informational conversations for future roles. Definitely. Well, thank you, Alex, for joining and being our dear career Contessa expert. If people want to stay in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Absolutely. Feel free to add me on LinkedIn. My name is Alex Bader. It has Ehrlich in parentheses. I will do my absolute best to respond. But again, this is, you know, a really, really crazy time. So I would say get in touch on LinkedIn and, and we can go from there. Yeah. And maybe you guys in your LinkedIn note to Alex mentioned that you heard her on the female. So she has like a touch point <laughs> on, on where the connection is coming from. Perfect. That sounds great, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. We absolutely love hearing from you all. And as a special thank you for leaving a review, we're going to be giving away a copy of my new book, Power Moves, How Women Can Pivot, Reboot, and Build a Career of Purpose. All you have to do is leave a review on iTunes telling us what you loved about this episode. And you can reference what you learned from Amina or Alex. So let us know what you love about this episode and then leave your Instagram handle. And then we will pick a winner from those comments to receive a free copy of Power Moves. If you're interested in career coaching and making an investment in your career, check out Career Contessa's coaching service called Hire a Mentor. You can work one-on-one with a career coach already pre-vetted by our team. And we've linked to that service in the show notes. Also, we'll link to Amina's Zones of Genius worksheet in our show notes as well. And a big thank you to Amina Altai for sharing advice for overcoming the frozen middle and Alex Bader for being our special Dear Career Contessa expert today. We've linked to more information about both Amina and Alex in the show notes.